Well, good morning, everyone. I'd like for you to keep that video in your mind throughout this teaching today because it'll be helpful at the end. With that being said, welcome to the Jar Community Church. We are in the middle of a series right now entitled Choose Joy. We are looking at a book in the New Testament called Philippians, and we are going through it verse by verse this summer. It's been an amazing series so far. Of course, that could change today. I have been assigned Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, which is some amazing scripture. And we're going to unpack it. We are going to break it down here shortly. But first, I'd like to just begin by reading it. So I just ask that you follow along this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. That is a great, great passage of scripture. And it beautifully introduces the two-part theme of Philippians chapter 2, which is today's title, The Joy of Selflessness. Now, I know what I just read kind of goes against everything that society leads us to believe is the pathway to joy. See, this scripture is saying it's all about others. While the world is saying it's all about you. It's about your desires. It's about your money. It's about your possessions. But that way of thinking makes you start to lose sight of what's important. There was a rich man. He was parked at the side of the road and he was opening up the door of his BMW when suddenly a speeding car appeared out of nowhere. Bam! Hitting the door and ripping it completely off the car. This guy's outraged. When the police arrive at the scene, the rich man, he goes off. He says, officer, you look at what that person did to my Beamer. You need to find him. You need to arrest him. Officer looked at him, he snapped back, he said, You rich people, so materialistic, you make me sick. 
You're so upset about your stupid BMW, you didn't even notice that your left arm was ripped off in the accident. Rich man looked down, finally noticing the bloody stump where his arm had been, and he cried out, oh my gosh, my Rolex. (laughs) Now that's a good joke about how materialistic we can be sometimes. You know, it's easy to get wrapped up in our own little worlds. It really is. And every one of us are guilty of this from time to time. And I mean, the culture we live in is referred to as the me generation because it's all about me. I don't care about anybody else. I have to think about what's best for me, my goals, my dreams, my family, what I deserve, how I should be treated. And what happens is these things that I just mentioned, they become, our, they become our measure and stick for joy. We base our joy upon these things. Which is why people can spend their whole lives in this like roller coaster of happiness, disappointment. So this leads into the big idea for today, And this will be showered throughout this entire teaching today. It's what Paul is telling us in a nutshell in Philippians chapter 2. And that is joy is not based upon you. Joy is not based upon you. Everything is not all about you. That's not selflessness. That's selfishness. You see, when your joy is based on you or yours, you're going to be disappointed. You can't base joy on what you do because you're going to come up short. Many times in your life, you are going to fail at things. You will never achieve everything that you set out to do. You can't base joy on what you have. Because you're never going to attain every material possession that your heart desires. It's not going to happen. You can lose your job. You can lose your health. You can't base joy on your spouse. With the divorce rate in this country, that gives you about a 50% chance of losing your joy. You can't base joy on your children either because there's a 100% chance they're going to do something stupid at some point and kill your joy. Like the time my son Ethan, apparently after watching the movie Field of Dreams, decided he and his friends should make a baseball diamond in the neighbor's cornfield. Let me tell you something. Farmers don't like that. It's a joy killer. Or the time my daughter, Courtney, put a metal tray in the microwave, blew it up, and almost caught my kitchen on fire. (laughs) Naive kid, she was 18. (laughs) Joy killer. See, when it's all about you, things are like a roller coaster. Joy's here, now it's down here. It changes quick. It's like my grandson, little Charles Lucas. 
I'm his namesake. A lot of people don't know that. Charles is my real name. The only people that ever called me that were judges and my mom when she was really mad. Well, anyways, I always joke that little Charles is like one of those sweet and sour candies. Have you seen that commercial? One moment he's kissing you on the cheek and he's precious like a little angel. And then he's taking a bite out of your arm the next minute. He's sweet and then he's sour. And when we base our joy on ourselves, our lives resemble that. It really does. One moment it's sweet, the next it's sour. One moment you're up, the next you're down. But in Philippians chapter 2, Paul comes in. Paul says it's not about you. He said the world doesn't revolve around you. You've got it all wrong here. And not only is he saying we've got it wrong, he's saying that this way of thinking is creating bigger problems in our lives. And that problem is when I place me above everything else, God becomes second. And anything that separates me from God is a sin. So not only is selfishness a joy killer, but it is a root cause of sin. That's why Paul is so adamant in speaking about humility to this church in Philippi, this church that he planted, this church that he loves so much. He's saying you have to realize none of this is about you. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's about what he did. Paul's saying, this is the gospel that I brought to you. This is how you find joy. So now we are going to read this scripture again. I'm going to break it down into sections. So hang with me here. Because I'm going to show you what God has shown me in this scripture is how you find joy. You're going to see it's all about selflessness. And the first key to finding joy is realizing that it's not about you. It's about what Christ is doing in you. It's not about you. It's about what Christ is doing in you. Recognizing this is how we begin finding joy in our lives. So here we go. Paul begins by reminding them. He says in verse 1, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. So he's asking them. And some other Bible translations actually say, Do you have any encouragement from being united with Christ? So he's asking them. And this is relevant not only for the church in Philippi, but for us as well. Are you encouraged by your relationship with with Christ. And I hope so. Are you encouraged by what Christ is doing in your life? Man, I am. I'm encouraged that I'm not the same person I once was. I'm a new creation. I'm encouraged by the path that, that God's leading me down. 
I'm encouraged by the changes I see in so many of you. What Christ is doing in your lives. Do you see it? I do. I'm encouraged when I hear my grandkids singing songs about Jesus that they've learned in Jar Kids. I'm encouraged when they pray before we eat. Man, that stuff's encouraging. Then Paul says, if any comfort from his love, have you been comforted by the love of Christ in your life? Have you felt it? I mean, have you truly, truly felt it? Those moments, those moments when you need it the most, those moments when you're going through things, man, you're having a tough time, you're receiving some tough news. Are you comforted knowing that you're going to spend eternity in heaven? Not because of what you did, but because of what he did? See, that's comforting. Then Paul says, if any fellowship with the Spirit. Now this may be one of the ones that make you scratch your head a little. And honestly, the one people probably aren't doing may be the most important. You see, as Christians, we've been given an amazing gift. And that gift is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that is in us, if we've given our lives to Christ, has the power to influence us. It has the power to direct us. Man, we need to read our Bibles in fellowship, in tune with that Spirit. Letting it lead us. Letting it guide us to what God wants us to see at any given moment. The things that God needs us to hear at a given time. See, praying in the Spirit is how we're able to seek counsel. Wisdom for choices that we make in our lives. And I'm not talking about just day-to-day choices, although that's important too. I'm talking about big choices that we make. Where do I go to school? God, lead me to where is going to be the most positive thing in my life. That's going to lead me to where I'm gifted. God, who do, where, where do I work? Where would I work at, God, that would be the most impactful for you? God, lead me to the person that you want me to marry. There's going to be that marriage that's going to honor you, God. So many times we make decisions. We don't ask God before we make those decisions. We don't get quiet. We don't drop to our knees before we make decisions that have such impact in our lives. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit is how we find out what's best for us. How we're able to do what pleases God. Are you fellowshipping with the Spirit? Man, you need to be. You see, Paul's reminding those in Philippi the enormous impact that this is having on their lives. Next he says, if any tenderness and compassion. You know, the closer you get to Christ, the more you realize people matter. Paul's asking, he's saying, hey, since you came to the Lord, do you notice anything different? Do you notice that something is changing inside you? 
You see people in need and your heart goes out to them. How can you be a Christian and see need and not care about it? And honestly, I'm not even sure that that's possible. Paul is basically asking on all these things that I just said, do you see these things that Christ is doing in your life? And then he kind of starts to push a little here. He says, these things I just reminded you of, these things that Christ has done in you, these ways that Christ has worked in you, if these things are true, then make my joy complete. He's saying, I know you're starting to get it now. You're realizing these things now after I've reminded you that Christ is doing in you and it's starting to make the joy meter rise a little bit. But you can't stop there. To make your joy complete, you must also realize that this is key number two. It's not about you. It's about what Christ is doing through you. It's about what Christ is doing through you. Again, the big idea for today, your joy is not based upon you. It is, what Christ, it is Christ who is doing these things in you, and it is Christ who is wanting to do things through you. It's about selflessness, not selfishness. And he tells the church in Philippi that this happens by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Is that us? I mean, does that sound like us? Should. I mean, it should. We, we all study the same book. We should have the same goals. We should have the same motives. We should be of one accord. We should be joined at the hip in ways of thinking. We should be joined at the hip in ways of doing. I mean, although our ages are different... Although our backgrounds are different, although our incomes are different, our ethnicity is different, we should be one in the church for the sake of the gospel. One in spirit and purpose. Paul says, this is how we need to be. And then he tells us what we need to do. He goes on, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You know, so many times someone will do something and it may be a great thing, but they long for everyone to know that they did it. And it kind of kills things right there. Kills the meaning behind it. But here's the thing, we want applause Man, we want to be noticed. We want to be recognized. We want to be rewarded. But where's your heart at in that? 
Jesus talks about this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. He says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. You cannot make decisions based on how you will be viewed. You make decisions based on how He will be viewed. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. He goes on, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you can't be so focused on yourself that you lose sight of other people. Man, we have to try to get in a mind frame where we're taking a look at the bigger picture. Because your worries and your challenges may not seem as significant when compared to other people's situations. Gandhi said to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. Joy, joy is found in others. Mother Teresa, great example of this. Found fulfillment in giving of herself to others, asking nothing. In return, a Chinese proverb says, if you always give, you will always have. And it's true. The rewards of looking to the interests of others, the rewards of giving are priceless. The more you give of yourself, the more you find of yourself. Let me tell you, you can tell a big person by how they treat a little person. So a great perspective can be achieved by stepping out of our own world and venturing into the world of other people. And that's what Jesus did. Friends, that's the gospel. And Paul tells the church, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. An attitude of self-sacrifice, an attitude of humility, an attitude of love for others. I mean, everything we just talked about, Jesus did. And now he's doing these things in you, and he's wanting to do these things through you. But that's only a portion of the gospel. That's only a small part of the good news. See, the big part is not so much what he is doing, but what he did. And maybe, maybe in a way it's not so much what he did, but why he did it and what that means for you. This is actually the greatest reason to have joy in your life. And this is key number three. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you. It's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you. Now we're going to get in the meat of this scripture. 
Paul closes by explaining this, what Jesus did for you. And he says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, this is affirming, Jesus is fully God, second part of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. See, you have to realize Jesus wasn't pushed out of heaven. He made himself nothing. He set aside his power. He set aside his position, his authority, his privilege. Think about it. Worship, glory, riches. Imagine how he's treated in heaven. Yes, Scripture says he gave it all up to become poor. And it says, taking the very nature of a servant. He didn't just look the part. He became the part. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. Being found in human form and everything that goes along with it. Uncertainty, stress, tiredness. Jesus embraced the humiliation of humanity. Man, that's selflessness. And then it says, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So becoming obedient, even to the point of death, he humbled himself that God would die. You've got to think about that. He who created life embraced death for you and I. Not just any death. It says even death on a cross, which... All the humiliation and torture that life can dish out is present at the cross. Why would he choose to do this? Now think back to the video. He's taken our place. He's taking your place. See, the wages of sin is death. Not a physical death. We're all going to experience a physical death. I'm talking about a spiritual death. A spiritual death is eternal separation from God. It's hell. God is holy. A holy God must judge A just and righteous judge cannot let evil go unpunished. Cannot let sin go unpunished. But the problem is, it's impossible to live a holy life. It's impossible for us to live a sinless life. We are all, every one of us, are deserving of this death penalty. So Jesus went to the cross... As our substitute. He became the ultimate sacrifice. He died as an atoning sacrifice of sin. Whose sin? Your sin. My sin. He satisfied the just demands of a holy God. He took our place. He paid the price for us. Pierced for our transgressions. Crushed for our iniquities. See, by shedding His blood on the cross, He took the punishment we deserve. And He offered us His righteousness. 
He traded places with us. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, God made him, talking to Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And notice that says might. See, we have to make the trade. A trade consists of accepting something, giving something. You accept what Christ did and you give him your life. For the trade to be complete, we have to trust Christ for our salvation. It's by faith in Him we trade our sin. And it's accompanying death penalty for His righteous and eternal life. He steps in for us, just like that video showed. See, without Him, there's no way to enter into the kingdom of God. When you become a believer, you have immediate access to the throne because of the blood of Christ. You have eternal life and you can rest in that truth. That is what Jesus did for you. That is what Jesus accomplished for you. Which makes you understand why people could throw their arms up in worship and just have a powerful moment like that. It's not about you. It's all about Him. It's not what you do, it's what He did. Man, how can you know this and not be filled with joy? How can you be reminded of this and not have some joy in your life? Paul finishes by saying, Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I'm no genius, although I did get a hundred on my SATs, but enough about me. I believe, I believe the Word of God to be true. I believe it to be a fact. And I'm not going to be politically correct, but I'm going to be biblically correct. This scripture says every knee will bow. It says the same thing in Romans. It means everyone. It means every Christian. It means every person who just wasn't sure means every atheist, means every Islamic terrorist. Everyone will one day drop to their knee and they will bow before the King of Kings. You can do it willingly or you can be forced down, but you're going down before Jesus Christ one day and you are going to confess that He is Lord. Deservedly so. Joy, J-O-Y. Jesus, others, you. In that order.
Now I know, I know it's hard to be joyful sometimes. You know, moments when life knocks the wind out of you. Things happen we have no control over. Health diagnosis. Someone we love, we lose. We don't ask for these things. When someone else's actions maybe turn your world upside down. Maybe it's your actions. Maybe it's things you've done. Maybe it's ways that you've messed up and they brought some serious consequences in your life. See, all these things have a way of bringing us to a point where we fail to see things to be thankful for. We fail to see joy, to feel joy. There's moments in our lives when we feel like that maybe we've, we've come to a dead end. We've fallen over. We're done. You know, about a month ago, I was at the Tri-County Golf Course in Middletown at my son's golf meet. Besides being a gifted architect of cornfield baseball diamonds, he loves to play golf. And as I was riding in a golf cart, eating a snicker bar, passing all the health-conscious parents that were following their children, walking, I noticed something towards the end of hole one that caught my attention. It was a tree. But there was something peculiar about this tree. And as I got up to it, I got out of the golf cart and I took a photo of this tree. And if you look at it, you can see it had died and fell over. But somehow it began to grow again. You see, somehow new life was breathed into this tree and it started growing upright. It didn't resemble the old tree. It was strong. It was healthy. It was beautiful. And I couldn't help but think, that's what God does in our lives. When we think we're down and out, When we're done, God says, focus on me. You're not dead until I say you're dead. You're not done until I say you're done. Focus on me. Don't look down. Don't even look forward. When you're on the ground and you're looking forward, you're still seeing things on the ground. God says, look up. God says, I have the power to pick you back up. God says, I have the power to lift you back up and set you straight again. God says, I'll make things better than you've ever imagined. I'll make you stronger than you ever thought was possible. I'll make you new again. See, joy is not based on you. 
not about you. It's what Christ is doing in you. It's what Christ is doing through you. And it's what Christ did for you. You see, that's the joy of selflessness. I invite you to stand. You know, last week was our first week of having a table just dedicated for anyone accepting Christ or recommitting their lives to Christ. And it's actually the table in the back corner back there. Well, I was manning that table for the second service last week. And after praying with a couple people, my son Ethan came up to me and he said, I've never did this, Dad. Can I accept Christ? I got to lead my son in prayer for the greatest decision he'll ever make. Man, I praise God for that moment. That was some joy. And then he took a Bible. I gave him an anchor to acknowledge that Christ was his anchor from this point forward. And I just urge you. When we close, if you've never made that decision, or if you just want to recommit your life to Christ, do it. You can come up here. There will be someone on each side of the stage that would love to pray with you. Or come up here to me. I'll do it. And then head back to the table. Regardless of who you go to, make sure you go to the table to get a Bible if you need one. And we got the anchors back there to grab and hold on to. You're going through things when things are getting stormy. God has been anxiously waiting for this moment. Let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we stand before you right now thankful for your word. God, thankful for your truth that you planted in our hearts today. Reminding us to be thankful and to be encouraged by the relationship that we have in Christ. God, help us to be more mindful of others. Help us to have attitudes that more closely resemble that of Jesus. And allow us to always remember true joy is not found in us, but in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Know you're always loved in this place. We'll see you next week. Remember, there's a cookout right afterwards, right outside. Get some free hamburgers and hot dogs and let's fellowship together.